You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Hey, church family. Yeah, grab a seat this morning. Hey, welcome again. Uh, We are excited about the next couple weeks. We're launching into a two-part series called Voices of the Valley. And so Pastor Ryan is out of town this week. Every year, he and his family go on an annual uh, deer hunting trip in Arkansas. And so he's back spending some time out in the woods with his family and uh, just getting some little R&R. So we're excited for that. As we get going this morning, Voices of the Valley, we, want, we have the privilege of hearing from some of the most influential church speakers um, in the Phoenix Valley. And so this morning, uh, we have our guest speaker, Pastor Tom Schrader. He's been an influential voice in the valley. He's been uh, a pastor in the Phoenix Valley, helping shape the church culture for uh, several decades now um, through Christ-centered and biblical preaching and teaching. And so we're privileged to hear from him. He's the founder of East Valley Bible Church that is now uh, currently Redemption Church. And uh, so it's a privilege to hear from him this morning. So Pastor Tom, why don't you come on up here? He's loved by many in the church scene here. So welcome Pastor Tom with us this morning. Thanks for being here. Thanks. Good morning. Good to see you this morning and be with you. Uh, I'm starting from a position of weakness. I've got a really bad cold, and so I apologize up front for the sniffling and the coughing and all that goes with it, but God will break through that and we'll be fine. Uh, When you came in today, you received a card, and also I sprang on the guys at the last minute eight and a half by 11 sheet, and on it is the 23rd Psalm. And I was going to say, that's the passage we're going to look at today. In reality, we're going to spend the majority of time on Psalm 23, verse 1. But, but let's go ahead and uh, read the psalm. It's probably familiar to many of you, if not all of you. Uh, so many kids, when they come into kids' church, one of the first passages they are exposed to is Psalm 23. So let's read it. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want... And we're going to come back and unpack that because I think that becomes the key to the rest of this psalm. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Verse 4, and, and, and this becomes a, a, a pivot point in the psalm, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I, I said we're going to read through it, but, but I, I can't resist the observation here. So often, Psalm 23 is identified with, with, with death, with dying. So it's not at all unusual if you go to a funeral, to have them read Psalm 23. 
And once you look at it, you go, why? What the psalmist is saying, it's not that I'm living in the shadow of death or I've died. I'm walking through it. This isn't a psalm about dying. This is a psalm about living. I fear no evil. You're with me. Your staff and rod, they comfort me. <coughs> Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. As I said, it's a psalm about living. It's a psalm about hope. It's a psalm that understands that life is is tough. Uh, My world has, over the last few years, just kind of gotten smaller and smaller, and my days and weeks are pretty simple. I teach on Wednesday and Thursday, and probably one or two Sundays a month. And the rest of the time, I meet with guys. You're going to laugh. And mostly, I sleep to get ready for Wednesday and Thursday and Sunday. And then when I meet with people, I, I, I basically get two big buckets of people. Those for whom everything is falling apart, and they wonder if there's any hope. And those of whom life has never been better. And to both groups, okay, this is important now. I have a really, I was going to say I have an annoying habit. I probably have a lot of annoying habits. But one of them when I speak is I have this tendency to say, this is a huge point. It almost sounds presidential. This is a huge point. This is a big point. But there's four or five of these today that are really important points. If you're here today and everything is going really good, or you're here today and everything is falling apart, I can say the same thing to both of you. This too shall pass. This will change. And God understands that, and he relates to his people. So when you look at verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, this is really an important truth. It's one thing to say, the Lord is a shepherd. It's another thing to say, the Lord is my shepherd. He doesn't leave it in a nebulous thing. He doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd or the shepherd, but he's my shepherd. It's a personal relationship. So to be totally clear in this room, even though there's maybe a handful of you that I know, I know this. There's two groups of people in the room those that know Christ, and those that don't. And what I want to do today is to give you 
buckets of comfort if you know Christ. If you don't, don't draw any comfort from this, but, but draw a plea to come to him in repentance and faith. The Bible teaches, and we get it through life, that all of us come into the world sinners separated from God by our sin. And our natural flinch is to try to fix that. That's called religion. I'll do something. Maybe that's how you got here today. Maybe you came here today in kind of a bargain with God. I'll go there on Sunday. Uh, I'll volunteer. I'll go to the Christmas Eve. God, that's got to be impressive, isn't it? And he says, no. Your sin has separated you from him, and the only way to remedy that situation is to believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for your sin. And now you can say, the Lord is my shepherd. And because the Lord, that eight and a half by 11 sheet that you have, because the Lord is your shepherd, all of these things on that sheet are true. Because the Lord is your shepherd, you have relationship. You have supply. You have rest. You have refreshment. You have healing. You have guidance and purpose. There'll be testing, but you have protection. And He's faithful. He'll discipline you because He loves you, but you'll have hope. And there's consecration and abundance and blessing. And here's like the coolest thing, and you'll have security forever. So in your Bible, right at the beginning of verse 1, you write the word since, or the word because. Because the Lord is, and then you can circle my, because the Lord is my shepherd, all this other stuff is true. You may not even know you have it. I'm with a guy one day, and we're at lunch, and he's got this phone, and he's doing these apps. It's absolutely amazing. I said, that's awesome. He said, well, you probably have it on your phone. What kind of phone do you have? And I said, why do I, it's, it's black. And he said, well, what kind is it? I said, I don't know, and I gave it to him. And, and so I gave it to him, and he said, what's your security code? And I said, well, give it back to me, and I'll punch it in myself here. I punch it in, I give it to him, and he hits a few buttons and unlocks the very thing that he had that I was admiring. And to me, that's the 23rd Psalm. Because the Lord is your shepherd, you have all this stuff. You may not realize it. You might not access it, but it's there. All of those things on that sheet. That's why I printed that sheet separately, hoping it would land in your Bible or on the refrigerator 
or you duplicate it and it'd be in different places to remind you these are things that you have because the Lord is your shepherd. <coughs> There's a pastor by the name of Dave Roper, and he was contemplating <coughs> excuse me, the 23rd Psalm and David writing it. And you may know that David was a shepherd. And, and Roper wrote this, and I'll put it on the screen for you. One day as David was watching his sheep, the idea came to him that God is like a shepherd. He thought of the incessant care that sheep require, their helplessness, defenselessness. He recalled their foolish straying from safe paths, their constant need for guidance. He thought of the time and patience it took for them to trust him before they'd follow him. He remembered the times when he led them through danger and they huddled close at his heels. He pondered the fact that he must think for his sheep, fight for them, guard them, find them pastures, quiet pools. He remembered their bruises and scratches that he bound them up. And he marveled at how frequently he had to rescue them from harm. And yet, not one of the sheep was aware of how well it was watched. Yes, he mused, God is very much like a shepherd. The, the illustration of sheep and shepherd is probably most identified with David but not unique to him. Genesis 48, 15, Jacob says, God is my shepherd. Isaiah 40, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He tends his flock like a shepherd. Jeremiah chapter 50, my people have been lost like sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. Ezekiel writes this in chapter 34, and I'm just going to pluck out, edit it. My sheep wander, they scatter, I search, I rescue, I tend to them. It's one thing to say the Lord is a shepherd. It's a whole nother thing to say the Lord is my shepherd. And, and, and to begin to let the reality of that analogy drip into you. That the Lord is there. Again, Roper writes this. This is a psalm for people who, like David, are experiencing great upheaval in our life. Don't know what it is. Doesn't matter to me what it is. I'm telling you the comfort and care that's there. One author, author writes these words, Our discomfort is God's doing. He hounds us. We don't think of God like this very often. He hounds us. He hems us in. He thwarts our dreams. He foils our best laid plans. He frustrates our hopes. He waits until we know that nothing else will ease our pain. Nothing will make life worth living 
accept his presence. It's Psalm 145, verse 18. When we turn to him, he's there and he greets us. He's been there all along. Why would God push you? Why would God hem you in? Why would God test you? Why would he drive you almost beyond your limits? In fact, beyond your limits. Because he wants you to come and to settle with him. It's so simple. And I've done it now for 30 years. To sing the songs that Jesus is all I need. And I don't need silver and I don't need gold. Here's what I've learned. You don't know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. We tend to carry around a plan B in our back pocket. If this doesn't work, I'll try that. But look at that sheet again. All that you need is based on that relationship with Him. Now, here's true confession time. I don't know anything about sheep. I was born and raised in Iowa, and uh, when I came down here, I went to work for Motorola. And at the time, uh, this will tell you how things change. At the time, Motorola was the largest employer in the state. They had 55,000 employees. State government was bigger. And they hired me. We sold two-way products. So if you see these old Adam-12 TV shows, you'll see them. They'll show the dashboard, and you'll see a Motorola microphone. And, and we sold, here you go, this, this is really interesting, I think. We sold car phones. They were trunk mounted. In the trunk went something uh, about, about the, the size of this music stand and maybe about six inches thick. It went in the trunk. And then you ran wires up to the console, which had an old-fashioned telephone headset. And if you wanted to buy, think about this, if you wanted to buy one of those car phones, they cost $3,000. And if you wanted to use it, it was $2 for the first minute and a dollar for every minute afterwards. And we would sell these. And, and, and so they saw this from Iowa, so they put me in agribusiness. In my territories, where I live now, the Southeast Valley. And they gave me a stack of files, and our best customer was a guy by the name of Dwayne Dobson. So if you go out east, you'll see Dobson Ranch, Dobson Road. The Dobson family owned all of that and sold that to Mr. Keating, who developed Dobson Ranch. 
So I called Dwayne Dobbs, first call. Said, Dwayne, Tom Schrader, I'm the new Motorola guy. I'd love to meet. I see you're a, a great customer. Love to check up on what you have. If things work out, I'd love to sell you more. He said to me, great. When would you like to meet? And I said, well, I'm pretty available. How about breakfast tomorrow morning? And he said, well, the ranch house is at Price in Ocotillo. So why don't I meet you at the ranch house at 4 o'clock? And without thinking, I said, why don't I meet you there at 8 o'clock for lunch? <laughs> and so I get down there, and there's Dwayne and him. These guys are just making fun of me. But they've got these sheep everywhere. And, and little did I know that when God saved me, the sheep and that analogy would become so strong. Well, let me point out the obvious to you. If the Lord is your shepherd, then you are a sheep. I, on your handout, I have six characteristics of sheep. And I warn you up front, they're not very flattering. Number one, sheep are stupid. You'll see a dog trainer and a horse trainer and a lion trainer and a dolphin trainer. You're never going to see a sheep trainer. They're dumb. Number two, they're defenseless. No fangs, no claws, no fighting. Thirdly, they're dirty. You see cats cleaning themselves and dogs cleaning themselves and birds taking baths. Sheep are just dirty. They gather dirt. And it hangs on them and they can't get it off. Here's the fourth thing. Sheep are, <coughs> I'm sorry, stubborn. Self-willed. Frank Sinatra sang a song that became kind of the anthem for guys my age. Sinatra sang this song, and we kind of picked it up and said, yeah. And, and the song was called My Way. Let, let me read you. L listen to the rebellion and defiance in these lyrics. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway, and more, much more than that. What? I did it. My way. Regrets? I had a few, but then again to, few, to mention, I did what I had to do. I saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. 
Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew, but through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all. I stood tall. I did it my way. I loved, I laughed, I cried. I've had my fill, my share of losing. But now my tears subside. I find it all so amusing to think I did all that. And may I say, not in a shy way, oh no, oh no, not me. I did it my way. And if that's not enough, here's, here's like the bow on this rebellion, the last verse. And what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels, not the word of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. That, that's the anthem of a rebellious, self-centered, lost, sinful person. Not Sinatra, just anybody who would sing that, who would say that. That's what sheep are. And, and because they're stubborn, fifth, they're lost. They're prone to wander. My, we have all, like sheep, wandered our own way. And then they have, lastly, and, and this is kind of strange, a mob mentality. I was reading a story of a guy, kid, he had about a dozen sheep, and a friend came to see him, and the friend had with him a chihuahua. The chihuahua jumped out of the car and caused, these are my words, I don't know that these words have ever been used before, a sheep stampede. The sheep took off running. Now, I want you to look at that picture. Uh, that picture that you see of somebody, <coughs> us, dumb, defenseless, dirty, stubborn, lost, mob mentality. We need a shepherd, one who knows the way, one who protects, one who cleans. One who leads. The Lord is my shepherd. I've got 13 minutes. Let, let me just hang on verse 1 and put a bow on this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Let, let me read you a couple of the other translations <coughs> and see if we can make this a little more real. The NIV. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. The new living. The Lord is my shepherd, here you go, I have everything I need. Eugene Peterson's The Message, God is my shepherd, I don't know, I don't need a thing. Because, hopefully feeling it come together, because the Lord is my shepherd, 
I don't know, need anything. Now, this runs contrary to my experience because I feel like I need these things or have these wants or have these desires. David's not saying you won't have those. David is saying that everything you truly need, the shepherd has provided for you. The guidance, the direction. And here's the beauty about sheep. They don't go looking for the shepherd. It's the other way around. The shepherd looks for you. The shepherd's standing there now, today. You don't have to hunt. He says, call out to me. I'm there. David is not representing that your life is going to be smooth and easy. (coughs) If we were at summer camp right now with the students, I'd say, look up here. Okay? Your life is not going to be like this or like this. Circumstantially, it's going to be like this. And sometimes simultaneously. But in the midst of that, the constant is that the Lord is my shepherd. David is saying that in lean times and difficult times, the shepherd is in control. This is a huge point. The shepherd is greater than what you don't have. So part of your leanness might be that you're sitting here right now saying, I don't have. I don't have that house. I don't have that car. I don't have that scholarship. I didn't get that promotion. I can't get that spouse. I can't get that relationship. I don't have that cabin. I don't have, I don't have, I don't have. Make a list of what you don't have and the shepherd is greater than what you don't have. And the flip side of this is that the shepherd is greater than what you do have. The shepherd's greater than the cancer, greater than the divorce, greater than the rebellious kid, greater than the, rebel- the business challenge, the job situation. The shepherd knows what you don't have, what you do have, what you truly need. And the shepherd says you're safe and secure in my arms. So look at it again. I'm big on repetition. Look at it again. See that eight and a half by 11 sheet? Because the Lord is your shepherd and you have that relationship, you shall not want. You have everything you need. He makes you lie down in green pastures. There's rest. Besides still waters, there's refreshment. He restores your soul. There's healing. He leads you. That's guidance. For His name's sake, you have purpose. 
through the valley of the shadow of death, through the midst of this testing, he tests you (coughs) to make you strong. Uh, My wife is uh, physically fit. She gets up every day at 4.30. She does her coffee and the little bit that she needs. She leaves at 5 o'clock for the pool, and she swims. Not like you and I swim. She'll swim two or three miles. It's in competitive, it's in heats. She'll come home, she'll do her thing. And then every day at 4 o'clock, she goes to the gym for a 45-minute workout. And not a workout like you and me. It's kind of CrossFit on steroids. And, and she works at it very hard. Everywhere we go, this, t- this time of year, we're coming out of it. But, but ladies, you're sleeveless. Okay? Everywhere we go, some woman will come up to her and say, are you a trainer? And she'll say, no. And she'll say, your arms are incredible. And Sandy will say, thank you. And the lady will say, I'd do anything to have arms like that. And I want to say, all right, let's get up tomorrow morning at 4.30 Let's swim for three miles. Let's go to the gym. Let's do 150 burpees. Let's take this cowbell. Uh, I don't. I. I don't. I don't want to do that. Well, well, I watch Sandy, and I watch her push herself. I watch her get out and kayak. I watch her work. And, and, and it's called, we know the term, it's called aerobics. She tests herself. She pushes herself. Not to make herself weaker, but to make herself stronger. All right? Huge point here. God says in our life, trials, tribulations, difficulties are spiritual aerobics. Count it all joy, James writes, when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance, strength. And God brings those and causes these things or allows them to come into your life. Okay, really important for your good and His glory. When you pray, God, I want endurance, He hears, I want trials. That's how I get strong. And in those trials, here's what they always said, they come and go, oh, wow. And He said, that's all right. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have His faithfulness. I have his strength. St. Augustine said, in a crowd, it's difficult to see God. 
The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. And so all these things come into our life, crowding into our life. Busyness. I, 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 there's one thing I hear over and over again from everybody is, I'm so busy. Well, you make your own schedule. You need to take control of your life. You need to do the things that are really important. Because in that busyness, it's pretty hard to hear God. Be still. Quiet. And then know that I'm the shepherd. There's an old hymn we used to sing. And, and it goes like this. Safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning, leaning. Leaning on His everlasting arms. I don't know where you are today. Don't know if it's up. Don't know if it's down. But if you're a Christian, the Lord is your shepherd. It may not feel like it, but it's true. And you have everything you need. He's bigger than that list of things you don't have, and He's bigger than that list of things you do have, and He's your shepherd. Here you go, and I'm, I'm going to close. I, I can't imagine you need to write this down. God loves you. Now, we have a hard time with that word. Sandy and I have been married uh, five and a half years. And I am trying to be, I'm trying to be an incredible husband. I would grade it at about a B. She would grade it probably a B minus-ish. So we're sitting at dinner one night, and I've taught this, and I've read it, that women want to talk. Okay. So I said to Sandy, I love you. And she said, why? I said, well, I, 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 it wasn't meant to be a discussion question. It was, I just, it, I just, I love you. And she said, why? And I said, all right, you're a pro, regroup. Don't go because you're pretty, because that sounds trivial and everything. So I said, well, because, you know, you're, you're, you're pretty on the inside. You're smart. And she said, would you love me if I was stupid? <laughs> I said, no, I don't think I probably would love you if you were stupid. I don't know. If you were stupid, we wouldn't be here. But, but look where that went. And I've got 47 seconds. Look where that went. She understood human love is conditional. I'll love you if, I'll love you when, I'll love you because. And when I said to you, God loves you, I'm saying to you, God loves you. Not when, 
not if, not because. And he's your shepherd. You're not on probation. You're his kid. And you will be forever. Isn't that great? That's awesome. Let me pray as the guys come. Father, thank you for the truth. Take it and drill it deep into us. Let us enjoy the fact and, and appreciate the truth that you love us. And God, let us love you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.